Well, hello, church family. So good to be sharing God's word with you this morning. Well, each week we gather to worship God, who is infinitely wise and extravagantly loving. And that's a good thing, because we are a people in need of wisdom. On a large scale, nationally, internationally, economically, in our judicial system and within our courts of law, we need wisdom in choosing our leaders. We need wisdom in becoming the leaders God has called us to be. But of course, we need wisdom on a small scale too, in our relationships, in our homes and families, raising our children and grandchildren, how to steward our finances. We need wisdom in our workplaces, dealing with customers and coworkers. Where do you go? when you're in need of wisdom. Well, in our current age, there is no shortage of information. We have smartphones and smart TVs, and some of you have smart houses. But the question becomes, is all of that information helping us to live wisely, to build flourishing lives that are life-giving and resemble the abundant life that Jesus talked about? and gave his precious life. Indeed, we are a world of need of wisdom, and we are a people in need of great wisdom. Well, in our passages this morning, we're going to look at a portion of God's word that deals with wisdom. Where do we find it? Where do we learn it? How do we live it? So as we prepare to read God's word, will you join me in prayer? O gracious Father and God of all wisdom, as we open and study your word as a church family, we ask that you would plant it deep within our hearts, that your Holy Spirit would quicken our spirit, and that you would grow something new in our lives today. So open our ears and soften our hearts, we pray, for we long to hear your voice above all other voices. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Our scripture reading is found on Proverbs chapter 3, and I invite you to join me in your Bible, or if you're following along in the pew, Bible, you can be found on page 987. Listen now to God's holy word. My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years. And bring you prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And then you will win favor and a good name. In the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. And he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. And shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline, and do not resent his rebuke, because the Lord disciplines those he loves. As a father, the son he delights in. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. 
Well, by way of background, we know that the book of Proverbs is a part of the Bible known as the wisdom literature. And in the very opening verses of chapter 1, Solomon, son of David and king of Israel, identifies himself as the author. And in fact, one of the most famous stories in the Bible of someone asking God for wisdom happens in 1 Kings 3, where the new young King Solomon has a dream and God appears to him in the dream and said, ask me for whatever it is you want. And at that moment, King Solomon could have asked for wealth and long life. He could have asked for a big army or significant army and strong borders. But instead, he says, give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people, to distinguish between right and wrong. Solomon asked God for wisdom. And the scriptures tell us that God was pleased with Solomon's request and indeed granted him wisdom. And then later in 1 Kings 4, we learn that over his lifetime, he wrote 3,000 proverbs, these wise sayings, and over 1,000 songs. And as news grew about Solomon's great wisdom, kings and queens traveled near and far to hear his wisdom and counsel. He touched on a number of subjects. He spoke of love and affection, wealth, marriage, family ethics, and moral character. And so the book of Proverbs is simply a compilation or series of his wise sayings that took place over a long period of time. And you may have enjoyed the book of Proverbs in your daily devotion because the 31 chapters fit very neatly within a month. And as you get towards the end of the book, you know that King Solomon's not the only contributor to Proverbs. There are others, but he is the primary author. And so historians believe that Proverbs was compiled long after Solomon died, and the good king Hezekiah would compile these sayings, probably to be used as a, as a scholarship or a mentorship for young men. However, the book of Proverbs is not the only place in the Bible where wisdom is mentioned. We read in James 1.5, If anyone lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. Likewise, the Apostle Paul would consistently mention wisdom in his letters. He writes to the church in Colossae, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all of the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Isn't that what we want? Knowledge of God's will in our lives and in our families and in our communities? Wisdom brings prudence and discernment. Psalm 90 verse 12 says, teach us to number our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom. So we know as we get started that when we lack wisdom, scriptures encourage us to pray and ask God for wisdom. And God is pleased with our prayer. Bruce Walkie, an Old Testament scholar, believes he's figured out the secret to the mystery of wisdom in the book of Proverbs. And he said it's found in this little verse that's a theme woven throughout. He says it's so important that it's what the alphabet is to reading, it's what notes are to music, 
and it's what numerals are to mathematics. And that key theme is this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and discipline. And of course, that word fear is often so mistranslated. We can think of it as only a wrathful fear. But fear, as it is really intended, is reverence and honor. It's mentioned 14 times in the book of Proverbs, so it must be important to put him above everything and everyone else. That's the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord means we start treating God as real in the world that treats him as distant, remote, and irrelevant. Why is this so important? Well, because the Lord designed us. He made us. He knows how we're created. When the fear of the Lord takes center stage in one's heart, we tend not to fear other things. Said another way, fear of the Lord or fear of man, fear of the Lord or fear of anything else for that matter, cannot share the same space in your heart. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and discipline. Throughout Proverbs, Solomon further describes the wisdom by contrasting the destinies between the wise and the foolish man. And fool is, appears 18 times, so it's also very important. But it doesn't refer to one's intellectual capacity. Rather, someone's willingness to put the fear of the Lord first in their life, to let the fear of the Lord take center stage of their life. The person who leaves God out of his thoughts and plans, the one who cares not what his conduct, whether his conduct pleases or displeases God. In contrast, the wise are not necessarily the most educated or the ones with the greatest intellectual capacity. Rather, these are the people who put God in the center of every area of their lives. They've cultivated a relationship and so the wise believers and the foolish unbelievers are the subject of most of Proverbs. Wisdom is found in the fear of the Lord. But how is wisdom learned? In Proverbs chapter 3, Solomon reveals the secret to a long and prosperous life is to trust the Lord without hesitation to direct your path. Here our life is being likened to a path. And can often, our lives can seem like a continuous set of branching forks on the road. When we're young, we must choose where will we go to college? What will we study? How will we invest our time and our resources? Where will we work? Who will we marry? Is it time to buy a home? Is it time to start a family? Is it time to sell our home and downsize? Life seems like a series of unending questions and decisions and the actions we take day by day shape our character. How? Verse 1, the wise man learns to treasure God's teaching above all things and do whatever he or she must to keep this relationship with God through his word the central place in our hearts. Right off the bat, we see that wisdom is rooted in sound teaching because, as verse 2 tells us, God rewards those who obey his teaching. 
And then he describes the most beautiful word picture in verse 3. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Let them become such close companions to your daily life. Engrave them on the very tablets of your heart. And when you do, they become adornments around your neck. Like a treasured piece of jewelry. And the first thing others admire in you. Then you will win favor in the sight of God and man. And at first, this sounds like a sentimental Hallmark greeting card. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. But the words love and faithfulness are not some generic love or fleeting infatuation. The words Solomon chooses here are intentionally the same words used to describe God's covenant love. The Hebrew translation is literally loving kindness expressed in loyal love. So he's saying, let the strength of God's covenant faithfulness, motivated by his unfailing love for you, be the most important thing about you. Your most important identifying factor. This is wisdom at work in your heart. I have shared parts of my own faith journey with you before. And as the pastor who gets to work with new members, I get to hear several of your faith stories as you join. And I get to hear how God has called you into a relationship with himself. And sometimes this is through deep trials, yes. Sometimes it's through joys. But when the penny drops and you understand what loving kindness expressed in loyal love is, that's a day to rejoice, isn't it? I remember one such day in my life with my, my young husband. We found ourselves at Duke University Medical Center. And after a long period of time, the decision was made that I would have a big surgery where most of my right lung would be removed. And it was before the internet. It was before cell phones. And so we had spent the day in the hospital undergoing all these tests. And we made it back to a hotel. And a phone... Uh, we, we didn't get one piece of information, and so they called for follow-up. And here, I, you know, we're just trying to rest before the night. The next day is a big day. And so this, this young lady calls, and she just needs personal information, name, date of birth, address, things like that. And then she asked for my vocation. Now, I had been in Psalm 139 all day. I had friends sending me messages of Psalm 139, and the words, all the days ordained for you, are written in my book long before one of them came to be, was just in my heart and engraved in my heart. And when she asked me my vocation, I said, precious child of God. And she started typing. And then she stopped and she goes, no, ma'am, what do you do? And I thought for a minute, you know, here I'm in my late 20s. I worked in a bank at the time. And I said, I am a precious child of God. Well, too much my surprise, that got put in my chart. And I'm in Duke Hospital where all the little Doogie Housers rotate through the week and come in and um, ask questions about you and your situation and why you're there. And once in a while, someone would look and see, now, what is it that you do? And I was able to share just a bit about this great God that I lived in the palm of his hand. I even had my Bible open, and when I didn't, one of the nurses reminded me. She said, 
Miss Claire, don't you want your Bible opened? Todd remembers that day. You see, the penny dropped. Loving kindness expressed in loyal love. So that Hallmark greeting card that looks just one-dimensional is like a card that opens and it's three-dimensional. Do you know what I mean? That is a great day in a person's life. You might just be getting the path. When you allow God's love and faithfulness to shape and mold you, you know you matter in the eyes of God. Nothing else can establish or validate you or give you a sense of stability or accomplishment or genuine significance. Only God can do that. When this truth becomes supremely important to you, the world takes notice. Look at Proverbs chapter 16. When a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies live at peace with him. (sighs) Wisdom is found in the fear of the Lord. Wisdom is rooted in sound teaching and gained by obeying his commands. And wisdom is learned on a path walking hand in hand with God. Verse 5 and 6, many of you have told me this is your life verse. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Now, it's possible to believe in God, but give our functional trust to other things. And while we don't often see it in the moment or care to admit it, When we place our value in our accomplishments or achievements or relationships, even good things or possessions, our well-being, our talent, those desires, they cloud our judgment and ultimately keep us from growing in wisdom and the abundant life that Jesus promises. And of course, our poor decisions have a way of catching up with us, don't they? And one thing's for sure, when you're on the path with God, He has a way of purifying our motives because he loves us. He doesn't leave us there in our distress. But a foolish man says, nope, don't need you here. A wise person walks the path of life with God. And when we come to situations where the way forward seems unclear, we seek his wisdom and trust his guidance that he will lead us in the right way. You may still Google search. You may still consult a wise group of friends, but in the most important areas of your life, godly wisdom will flourish as you bring your mind and life in conformity with the wisdom found in scriptures because Jesus is the treasure chest. Remember what he said in Matthew 7, a wise man builds his house upon the rock, a foolish man builds his house upon the sand, The wise man hears God's word and puts it into practice. But a foolish man hears God's word and doesn't put it into practice. The one who walks hand in hand with God obediently on a path is a wise man or woman. So the secrets of learning wisdom are often locked within the ordinary experiences of life, aren't they? Just common things that happen to each of us on a regular basis. And that leads us to our last point. How is wisdom lived? Well, verses 9 through 12 reveal that along life's path, there are two great teachers. 
And they are presented here for us as prosperity in adversity, success and failure. Look at verse 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. At a first glance, the passage seems to me, in times of success and prosperity, honor God with your first fruits, and you'll be in a right relationship with him, and in turn will enjoy an abundant life. But then in the very next verses we read, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he he delights in. What do these two seemingly unrelated verses have to teach us about gaining wisdom? I believe it's this. Both success and trials have much to teach us. Because in both cases, they can bring out deep-seated emotions of the heart that we didn't even know were there. In times of success or prosperity, we may be inclined to give ourselves credit and may become puffed up by our own success. Someone might say after a favorable outcome or a great sales pitch, you were awesome. That was brilliant. And publicly, you might go, oh, no, no. And privately, I was, wasn't I? I was kind of brilliant. But this passage reminds us in these moments, we can do one of two things. Recognize that apart from God, we can do nothing. That it's only by his grace are we even standing upright. Or we can take full credit for our successes and allow the sin of pride to take root And that is a mean route to dislodge, isn't it? But notice what verse 9 says. You and I are called to honor the Lord with our first fruits. It's specifically using the language of a tithe. Our response to life, to all of life, is one of worship. Our responses to success or prosperity can be moments of incredible blessing and answered prayer where you are found later in the night on your knees with your hands raised in the air, praising God for his faithfulness in whatever success or prosperity you find yourself. Likewise, and this is harder during times of trial and deep distress, and we've all been there, yes? Verse 11, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. The root there is disciple. Do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. Notice it doesn't say God allows pain in the lives of some people, but rather he disciplines those he loves. A person walking his life or her life on the path with God understands that character and godly wisdom It's often learned in times of adversity and setback. And in these times, while we so dread them, it would be easy to become embittered and isolated and distressed, blaming God and blaming others or our situation for the circumstances we're facing. But the important thing to remember is, for each of us, over our lifetime, 
we will experience both seasons of prosperity and a time of adversity. There will be times when everything seems to be going our way and other times when it feels like nothing's going right. You just can't buy a break. And then there will be lots of times in between, right? And what this passage teaches us is that prosperity and adversity are two great teachers of wisdom in our lives because they have the ability to bring out those deep-seated emotions that God wants to heal in each of us. And we can either embrace these, what we see, build our life on this new insight, repent and change, awaken to trusting God at a deeper level than before and become wiser. Or we can ignore God's wise counsel and allow ourselves to take credit and pride in the situation of success. Or in the case of adversity, we, we just blame and get resentful, become bitter, refuse to be comforted by God's promises, and in doing so become more and more like the foolish man. Tim Keller writes, Godly wisdom understands that both success and failure are teachers in life. And their presence in our lives can be moments of great spiritual maturity or leave one in grave spiritual danger. But one thing is for sure. Their presence will not leave us unchanged. How is wisdom found? In the fear of the Lord. How is wisdom learned? Along the path, walking hand in hand with God, trusting in his promises, obeying his word, allowing his loving faithfulness to never leave you, to shape you and mold you. And finally, how is wisdom lived? In the acts of worship, through all of life's ups and downs, in everything in between. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Let's pray together. Oh, gracious God, we thank you that you are a God of wisdom. How we thank you for your word, for our lives belong to you. Help us this week apply your promises in each area of life. Thank you for walking the path of life with us. Forgive us when we take your loving kindness for granted. Renew and refresh us this morning, for it's in your unfailing love we pray. Amen.